Space. The final frontier. Well, okay, not, not really. All right, uh, take two, take two. Here in the Mitten State, welcome to Code 47, bringing you all things Star Trek, spanning the quadrants, the best thing since the neutral zone. Alrighty-roo, back again on the Secret Friends Unite Podcast Network. This is Code 47, episode 108. I am your Trek Lord of West Michigan, Charlie Carden, uh, Commodore of the 13th Fleet of Starfleet International, Captain of the USS Grand Petoskey, etc., etc., a self-styled Huguenot, uh, a legend in my own time, uh, but I digress. I am joined, uh, as always, by my faithful co-pilot, Lieutenant Peter Stein, chief engineer of our delightful chapter. Good evening, Peter. Hello. Hello. I am, I'm, uh, we were talking to the pre-roll. I enjoy that, the hell out of that uniform. Uh, Peter is, if you're not watching us on YouTube, Peter is, the, along with Jen, who couldn't be here tonight, is really good about, uh, about suiting up when we record. Uh, I'm really bad about it because I tend to get overheated, even though I'm sitting in a basement. It'll be really easy when we get to the winter because it'll be winter I'm will sure, be nice. I'm sure it'll be freezing down here no matter what I do. Um, but Peter is uh, sporting the, uh, now I'm trying to remember, I don't think that, that if that's from The Cage, The Unaired Pilot, which was filmed in 1965. I think elements of that uh, uniform survived into the second pilot or I use the exact same uniform. exact same. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So yes, the, therefore you're Jose Tyler, you're Lee Kelso, you're, you're flying the ship, even though you have your back to the helm, if you're looking, but yeah. uh, anyway, uh, well, we are, uh, we're rolling into talking about uh, the new season of lower decks, which I have mislabeled on the, uh, on the document, but we know what we're talking about. Um, but before we get to that, uh, as always want to give love and respect to our fantastic Patreons. Uh, these are the folks who uh, log in with us. They give a little bit every month to make sure that we're able to bring some additional great content uh, to your ear holes. Uh, in my personal case, uh, I produce uh, a show called The Facts of Geek Life, which comes out twice a month, where myself and a guest uh, break down a, uh, a season of a classic show uh, with fun satire and some social commentary. I was just talking with Peter tonight that we've got to get one going because we've not done one yet. Um, but yeah, but no, we're, we're, we have fun doing that. And then my partners, uh, Todd and Mark, also produce great content. If you visit patreon.com slash secretfriendsunite, you can do a free seven-day trial give you a chance to check out our wares and if you like it feel free to stick around but again the folks who make it possible on our bffs levels that would be sean stella and henry nias missy merchant frequent collaborator to this program and to the patreon and andy milliken and over on the best buds level is jamie prinky so we are very grateful uh for your pitching in and making what we do possible one more time patreon.com slash secret friends unite free seven day trial and if you like it feel free to stick around all right so we have a uh, we have a new story of sorts uh star trek day uh, came and went and Peter, did you watch like that little canned film that was starring Jerry O'Connell? Um, no, that aired, I yeah. heard about it, but I didn't see it. You know, I think I watched 
it was like 30 minutes long. I think I maybe watched 10 minutes, but I was like, <clears throat> there's no, because in the past Star Trek day, uh, which is September the 8th happened relatively recently has been a big deal. You know, particularly it started really, it really started during COVID. I think back in 2020, yeah. uh, they would do a day's worth of programming where it was basically, you know, zoom meetings, like all of us were doing for work back then, you know, of talking heads, but it was like, here's the DS nine cast. Here's some t- people from TNG or Picard or whatever. Well, with the, the uh, SAG after, and the WGA strikes going on. Nothing like that is possible. Um, but they still wrangled Jerry O'Connell for this bit. I don't know if it was recorded beforehand or whatever it is. We don't need to get into the technical cool voice actors are kind of in a <laughs> they, mode with that. So right. I mean, but I, with it. I mean, they're still part of SAG-AFTRA, but but yes, voice actor stuff. No, you're absolutely right. Um, so that, that could have been. But I, I wonder, you know... I don't know. It's complicated, I'm sure. But we did get uh, what has been promised for us for several months, which was a very, very short trek. Uh, And this is really highlighting around the fact that uh, 2023, which is when we're recording, if you're listening to this in the distant future, uh, is the 50th anniversary of the original Star Trek animated series, which was produced by Filmation uh, in the uh, you know in the early 1970s, ran for two seasons. We've talked about that in the distant past of this program, and potentially the less said about the better. I, I don't know where you land. Some some good, some bad. But at any rate, in the style of that, uh, we're getting a series of short treks, which are really kind of based around using current voice talent to uh to produce you know three minute segments we've gotten two uh but uh peter you've not seen the second one i've watched the second one um but we're going to talk about the first one which was called the skin of a cat uh and this was uh, it was a very very satirical segment it did star uh the voices of comedian pete holmes I'm a very big fan of his. I actually saw him during Laugh Fest here in Grand Rapids about four or five years ago. He was at Fountain Street. And then Ethan Peck is Spock, who obviously portrays Spock on um, on Strange New Worlds. Uh, this is the first of four segments. We've gotten a second segment now, and we have uh, another couple uh, to look forward to. So, Peter, your thoughts on this? Where, where did you land with this, this animated segment? Uh, at best, I can say I'm ambivalent. <laughs> Um, I appreciate the heavily poking fun at Star Trek, especially in the sense that sometimes people take things a little too seriously in the social commentary. Yeah. And so they were poking fun at that. I did enjoy that. However, it was just a little too silly for me. You know, I, <laughs> and, I, I, and I, I hate, really yeah. didn't like how they like, as, as we have found out over the course of the show i really like captain kirk and i didn't really like how they used the character it clearly wasn't right shatner's kirk it was even animated differently to look like, right um, yeah he had, he had a different yeah. hairstyle it maybe it, it looked a, just a, yeah a bit like just, Pete Holmes. to me it was just bizarre like why yeah. make it kirk if you're not going to make it look like kirk you right, know. right. And just just to very quickly summarize, this is, again, a three, three and a half minute segment uh, placed on the bridge of the Enterprise very heavily in the uh, the animated style of that filmation program, uh, where the Captain Kirk character, obviously backed by Ethan Peck as Spock, uh, Holmes being Captain Kirk, um, is spouting out a lot of old timey uh, expressions cliches. as they're, yeah, <laughs> cliches as they're trying to get themselves out of a sticky situation. Uh, Skin of a Cat, which is the name of the segment. But then, I mean, it drills all the way down to, and then you have a, there's a Cation, you know, the Cation actor who's, who was the Cation 
character on that bridge. Mares. I can't remember it. Mares. So Mares or a representation of the Cation race, which is essentially a bipedal cat, uh, house cat, as we would know them if you're not familiar with the uh, the species, because we don't really see a lot of them in live action track. You get a hint here and there, they're here, but they're here and there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, we get we get one in Star Trek five, which, you know, some people would rather just forget. But anyway, he four in the council and in the council. Yeah. That council was really uh that, you know, that council a little bit of tidbit and, and, and Peter, I'm sure you know, this being such a trivia guy as me, that was the last time we saw all nine of the TV show principles in one shot. You had the seven original. And then in the background, you had chapel and you had uh, Rand um, because yeah, we didn't see chapel again after star Trek four, if I'm not mistaken. So that was, that was the uh, swan song. Oh Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, yes, we're a bit off topic, which is something that we do here. Um, but yeah, I mean, it got to the point where he would say skin of a cat. Then he would say something else. Up. Yeah, it's all screwed up. So he had a guy who had a screw for a head. And then it was what was the butt one? I'm forgetting because the other guy sitting next to him had a butt for a head or something. I'm I don't know. Now. Something about being a butthead. I don't. Yeah, exactly. It's just stupid, you know, and it's I, I, I too enjoy funny ha-has. I mean, I most of the podcasts I listen to outside of listening to our own stuff are comedy based. So I enjoy comedy a lot. But this was just a little too like, okay, it it was very sticky in a way that I didn't didn't really dig on. So I don't know, Um, you know, and I watched the second one and it's 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 kind of a gross out. Um, Ethan nice. Peck start, yeah. Ethan Peck stars in it again. Hammer returns. So I mean, you, that did that. You know, I like Hammer. Yeah. So you know, we will we'll we'll talk about that in probably uh, the September twenty seventh segment when we record again. And we come out again in a couple of weeks. But yeah, I just I just don't know. Uh, I don't know. It's nice to see n- new content. Um, we're going to hopefully get uh, Discovery early in twenty twenty four. But as you and I both know, that's it. We're n- we're not likely to see potentially anything again in 2024 so you know but not not to not to to dwell on that too much but um you know if this if this is what we're getting this is what we're getting so yeah, oh well thing we might see is like maybe a some short treks of some sort or maybe if they crank out a couple episodes of lower decks in the right in the meantime yeah could be i mean you know and again the other argument with prodigy is oh we're trying to find a home for prodigy but it, you know as we've talked about a lot on sfu I, todd and i um somebody has to be able to afford to buy it and these studios are starting to feel a pinch they don't have the money uh so i'm I, i'm very curious to see kind of where this evolves but yeah animation is kind of the focus and i i chuckle at the both the end of of this segment and, and then the you know the one that that just came out they say discover star trek animation star trek the animated series lower decks on paramount plus no mention of prodigy whatsoever even though the series itself does at least exist because you can purchase it but i i you know i'm i'm curious if that makes it canon anymore or is i would think it would be because you know canon in the star trek parlance versus star wars is if it's been on screen it's canon they haven't necessarily contradicted that to a point that i'm aware of um so i'm i I am kind of curious where the the big fish regards uh prodigy is as being anything anymore you know so things that i'm sure that we will we will learn more about as time goes on so okay all right well let's move on uh from that and let's talk about the new season of lower decks so uh, oh, geez, I was just retyping it as slower decks. Oh, that might be the name of the episode. <laughs> slower, slower decks season four there. That might be it. Um, so anyway, yeah, this is um, 
This is a program that, uh, you know, listeners of the show will know that I've had kind of a weird history with. I loved it a lot, but there was a time a little while back when I had, before Peter came along, I had a couple of co-hosts who really disliked the show, kind of really colored the way I felt about it. Uh, Peter came along, was joined by Kay, and you guys really, you know. Both just were relentless you bet it was it was you know if you're familiar with the neil diamond slash the monkeys uh, classic uh made famous by shrek for your generation peter i'm a believer you guys made me a believer absolutely correct um so yeah so this show came back and now in its fourth season it's so weird to think that it's been around that long you know but no we, we got it in the fall of 2020 and now it's 2023 so one two three four um but yeah we, we're going to be talking about two episodes um and the first of what this is a little weird one for you peter since i know this isn't your favorite series that they spoof but i, I am interested to hear what you think but i'll read it uh season uh four episode one is tuvix t-w-v-i-x an obvious pun on the tuvix season two episode of star trek voyager which is the topic of this Parody. The Cerritos Ensigns must assist a caretaker on the voyage of a historically significant starship, which is obviously uh, Star Trek Voyager. Even in the puns, even in. Um, So, yeah, I just rewatched this uh, today. Uh, I have actually seen the first eight episodes, thanks to the good folks at Viacom Paramount. Want to give them a shout out uh, for giving me uh, the preview and and renew. this season is fun. Uh, th- this episode does set up a, a through line that it's going to continue on um, with a kind of overarching, you know, enemy that we're going to catch up with. Um, so anyway, all right, Tuvix. Now, Peter, when it comes to Star Trek Voyager, you're not the world's greatest fan. And I, I'm really bummed that Jen was not able to be here. She had a complicated yeah. because she's kind of Voyager's greatest fan, particularly on the show. Um, so, so instead of that, we get you, uh, which I'm very happy about it. But I also love it when you and Jen are on diametrically opposed sides of anything, it, you know, it creates good programming. So, uh, but we will do the best we can. So talk to me, talk to me about how you're feeling about this episode. Um, I actually really liked this one. Yay! I, like, I generally like, Voyager may not be my my favorite show, but I I quite enjoy Voyager. Yeah, um, and so it was just like when they you know revealed the ship with the musical score motif and all of that. Like one yeah. of the things that really sticks out to me in Lower Decks is how much they love the spaceships. Yeah, yeah, they're they're, they're all fanboys. They really yeah, they, they love, love every the starships, like, every bit like of being the Starfleet. Way that they yeah. rendered the ships, the way that they rendered the interiors of the ships. Like they're all very very detailed. Um, I like they got in trouble on Strange New Worlds when they rendered the animated version of the opening titles because it was too realistic. So, um, so these guys just really love that. But I thought it was quite entertaining how they're like bringing the Voyager now set up as a museum to take it to Earth for like basically a hey look it's now set up as a museum before it goes off to the Fleet Museum that we saw in uh, right, right. season three. Um, so that's just kind of fun. You have a little bit of Boimler's like doubting his ability to do anything, but also doesn't want to get a promotion because he doesn't want to leave his friends behind. Right. Right. That's some character development there. Yeah, I, I do. I do like how they, you know, and again, there's, there was a great scene, you know, naturally like you would expect, they end up, um, you know, it's a, you know, it's not like, Oh, it's going to be very run of the mill. They end up in a situation, uh, yep. where, you know, they, you know, the Voyager itself, uh, is is the issue because apparently nobody cleaned Voyager up uh, after yeah, it returned? Somehow there's a macro yeah. page. Somehow so 
oh, yeah. stuff that causes the transporter. Yeah, fusion. exactly. Because yeah, you know, you have Billups and um, and Doctor Tana have to uh, beam beam back to the ship, but you know the uh, the Tuvix flower orchid landed on Billups, you know, boot. So when they beam him, they they turn into a merge character, and then they do a nice job turning that into like a not only a super punchline ripping on the whole Tuvix thing, like you know you know she just straight up murdered uh, Tuvix, don't you? Mariner says yeah. at one point in reference to Janeway. Janeway um, said that. Yeah, but then they just uh, and also nice shout out to their appearance on Lower Decks last season, which was a lot of fun. Oh, that thing that we're not supposed to talk about. Yeah, um, yeah, you're not a big deal. Of this. Yeah, exactly. Like that Pike thing we're not supposed to talk about. Exactly. But they turned it. In, they turned it into a nice ongoing spoof where they start. Uh, you know, the same transporter accident happens with Doctor Miglimo and the captain, and the captain's like, "No, they're doing it on purpose." Yeah, and then they're just like, "No, we're going to do it to everybody," uh, which totally gets out of control. But and then, of course, our people have to find a way to to re- you know to you know kind of correct the situation, which they do. Um, and at the end, yeah. a giant meat blob, thus absolving them of all. <laughs> all responsibility all no moral responsibility <laughs> yeah to lynn uh who we we obviously we met her last season we found out uh mm-hmm. in the you know season finale that she was going to uh be a provisional officer the return of the little voyager last mm-hmm. which i'm a big fan of mm-hmm. um and uh so but she becomes she joins kind of like they say in sitcom parlance she joins the cast as part of the regular deal um so yeah so they all solve it together and at the end of it it's actual promotion time there's a promotion ceremony Everybody gets a promotion, including Talyn, except for Rutherford, because Rutherford's like, well, I guess that I didn't get a promotion because you know I broke something and blah blah. He's still just very chipper. He's 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 yeah, he's very candy. Amazing engineering stuff this time, so I don't get a promotion. Yeah. Oh boy. But yeah, no, it was a this was a fun episode. And again, you know, I enjoy Voyager. Obviously, we've talked. We're we're all the way up to season four of Voyager, which will start uh, as we go through the cycle uh, of in, in our segment two. We're in TNG right now. So we'll go to TNG. Uh, we're in the, the fours right now. So we're in TNG four, then DS nine. Then we'll we'll be back to Voyager. You know, I I I, I enjoy voyager in a lot of ways just because i was there for the whole thing you know i was in college when it was on and and i've talked you know pretty plainly that there was a a part of it i stopped watching and i came back to it um but this is this is very endearing um but yeah you're like i like it how they're all just so meta about everything that they enjoy about the world that they live in that they're not just like Riker or Kirk or Picard, they're all just like, oh, we got to do this. They're just, they're very reverent and they're just, they're along for the ride. They're enjoying it where, you know, you don't just get that kind of enjoyment out of uh, the characters and other series in quite that fashion. So I dig it. It's fun. It's fun stuff. So, all right. Any final thoughts before we move on to talking about uh, episode two? Um. It was sad to see our Klingon friends from last season get blown up. <laughs> right. Yes, that was that was the big stinger is that we now have a big threat that is a, you know, little, you know, kind of oddly shaped spaceship that just shows up and annihilates another craft. And that, you know, happens in the next episode as well. And I'm not going to spoil it, but there's a potential that's an ongoing storyline. You will find out. Um, but yeah, that was a bummer. Yeah. So that, those were our Klingons that we were dealing with last time around. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, we, we see Romulans in, in episode two, which would be, uh, uh, I have no bones yet. I must flee. That sounds like a title to a discovery episode. They always get very sub sophomoric and uh, <laughs> they're titling, uh, Mariner tries to get demoted. Rutherford tries to get promoted and Boimler makes a big move. So, 
Peter, you're wearing the menagerie outfit. So the, it, it, explain to me what's going on with that and okay. vis-a-vis this episode. Yeah. So the reason that I'm wearing the the uh, the cage and the, menag- the uniform that you see in the cage and the menagerie is because we're going to a menagerie. Another race has just been randomly picking up other alien races to stick in a zoo. No big deal. <laughs> yeah. Just, like, how does that happen? I don't know. So two humans managed to get picked up and are now in the zoo. Whoops. So the Cerritos is coming here to be like, yeah, you can't do that. That's not okay. And we're going to take them home. So, I mean, the, 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 the caretaker seems to be pretty okay with it. So, yeah, you know, it's like, <laughs> eh. they don't really give us all that much money. So, you know, whatever you can right. back. Yeah, right. That much money. It's not worth it. It's very Ferengi-like. So we do have the debut of another cutesy poo character, or so we think. Uh, and that would be a little fluffy blob that is, yes, capable of uh, vocal communication as we understand it. It simply says, moopsie. And, you know, our, our away team is uh, it's it's Mariner and it's uh, Jack Ransom and uh, they're, de- you know, and then they bring Ensign Ricky or something. Did there wasn't there a third dude? Now Gary I'm or something. Yeah, G- yeah, Gary Ensign Gary, <laughs> which is it was funny because not that long ago, Missy and I did for Patreon. We covered the first season of uh, uh, Family Guy, and that was the famous Ensign Ricky gig. You know, he, Peter's watching Star Trek, and he's like, holy crap, Uhura's black. Nobody's watching Star Trek, and he's like, all right, the away mission, Kirk, Spock, and Ensign Ricky. Oh crap. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they, so they're down in the menagerie, uh, and yeah, they they find you know Moopsy, uh, the Moopsy character. Somebody bumps open the door, which we l- later find out was was not a plot by Mariner to get herself demoted, which Ransom thinks that it that it was. We also get a nice a tag in the beginning of this episode, an homage to the uh, the pr- the Price episode of TNG, yeah. where you have Bev. And Troy in their very famous workout outfits, but we have Ransom and Jackson oh, those same. Outfits. Oh, oh no, please! Yes, it's the my stuff eyes of are bleeding. I know, <laughs> like, but it's what, I but appreciated it's, the hilarity. But it was just right. Like, oh. Yeah, it's it's what this show does best. It's what they love on. Um, but uh, yeah, Moopsie is like you know the Moopsie critter uh, just says Moopsie, but you know gets free of its enclosure and gets into the enclosure next door filled with these like scary razor beast things. And what Moopsie's, what Moopsie does is, is uh, Moopsie opens its big razor tooth mouth, jumps onto one of the creatures and sucks the entirety of its bones and organs up and eats them. Liquefies its bones yeah. and sucks it away. Which leaves it just a skin. <laughs> she gets married and saying, holy fuck. <laughs> Proper response oh. to something like that. Right. Very unexpected. But yeah, so Moopsie chases them around the, the, the museum. And naturally, you know, they, they find a way to get it back in. And, you know, it's revealed it that Moopsie. Yeah. punching all of right. <laughs> Ransom's teeth out. Yeah. No, punch all his teeth out so that they can they can use it like a trail of breadcrumbs getting back. So um th- and this was a fun one, I thought. I mean that, that I mean that's my take. That was good. But again, you know. Focusing on on the character development, you know, everybody's looking at the the advancement in ranks in different ways. Um, and at the end of it, you know, Rutherford gets his due. Now everybody's a lieutenant. Uh, Boimler, uh, Lieutenant JG, uh, Boimler, new quarters. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Through the whole episode. 
And then comes uh, to find out my first set of quarters, I could just dim the windows. Exactly. Everyone knew that the minute you did that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, there'd be no way that'd be a usable room if it's always red. Yeah, so, it, yeah. It was, it was pretty funny, though. Yeah, I know. I think so, too. So, um, so yeah, so I enjoyed it. Your thoughts, Peter, outside of, outside of uh, what we've already talked about? I thought that this was another great episode. Yeah. Um, I, I thought that it was kind of cool. I mean, they did it in the Lower Deck style, but I thought it was fun how, like, Mariner is trying to, like, sabotage herself purposefully. Right. She believes that her commanding officer is going to, like, just demote her for no reason. And then right. Ransom is just simply like, yeah, I know that's what you're doing, but I'm not going to do that. Right. Um, and so I, I really liked how they, like, yes, Ransom is still, like, a meathead and a, <laughs> right. you know, a, a, a jock and all that. But, like, right. he's got her back and he wants her to do to do well. So I, I like that that dynamic has gotten better. Yeah. In this season. Yeah. Most definitely. Yeah, no, it was fun. And again, uh, you know, in, in, you know, continuing the through line of the mysterious and mysterious annihilating alien, we get a nice segment at the end with Romulans. And it's funny because you have the two officers who are cleaning up from a Romulan torture chair. And one of them's like, Oh man, why are we always on cleanup duty when we're, when we're torturing a Reman and you see him throwing body parts into a bag. <laughs> Ugh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then oh. hopping into like an old cloaking device shell or something. Yeah, exactly. And then it's funny because much like, like the I'm cl- going to do my schemes. I don't have time for schemes. Right, exactly. So yeah, so they update on the fact that Romulans are very backstabby. The same way in the previous episode, the Klingons uh, will you know do a, a life to life and death struggle. They're both head, holding the bat left nice at each other, and then they're like, "Hey, you want to join me for lunch?" Blah blah blah. You know, so it's just like it's it's very run affair. But then the Romulans get wiped out as well, so we don't know what's going on. Uh, with this mystery ship, but answers are coming. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, it's fine. I'm loving on this again. You know, it, it was it was tough because I, you know, I got the screener, and uh, naturally I watch them with April. Sorry, Viacom, if you're listening, we watched them together. But it was I, I got them midweek. I was I was out and about because I, I travel for work during the week. I saw that I got it. I said, uh, you know, I'll wait till I get home. We'll start watching them on a Friday night, uh, and we only got as opposed to lower decks, we got. 10 plays for that one like i could watch it 10 times these was only five so i'm like no i really want to make sure i don't use those up um but uh we got home and we're like yeah we really ought to stretch these out we had watched them all by the within 24 hours because it's just it's just that much fun and it's 22 minutes so it's just not not, yeah not that hard to get sucked up in doing it so so this is fun you know but again don't do what I did. Savor the flavor. You know, you're going to be rewatching this probably for the next year because it's going to be some of the last content we get. So definitely enjoy it. So awesome. Any final thoughts before we leave lower decks and take a get in the way back machine and go back to go back to 1990. They are up to a good start and I hope it just keeps on staying. What well, staying good. Keep on keeping on. Pretty much. I love it. All right. Well, look at this. I love this. No edit point. No pause for station identification because there's just the two of us. We're going to roll right on uh, to the second part of the show where we are talking about Star Trek The Next Generation uh, Season 4. This is part two. Peter, uh, mm-hmm. sorry that you weren't able to join us last time, but here you are now. Um, so we're going to launch into talking about seven episodes uh, that kick off uh, or that continue the 1990 to 1991 season season and peter if i do my math correct you were this is right around the time you were born you were born in the early 90s in between you? season four and five yeah oh my goodness you know who else was born between season four and five 
Gates McFadden's son. I remember that just because I read in that episode that she did, the Remember Me, where she had to do the stunt where she's hanging on the back of the chair. I was reading oh, and yeah. I had that oh, I had that big right. yeah. yeah, I had that big blue uh Star Trek the Next Generation uh compendium. The the the, the first one was blue, the, the revised one was red, and I think the final one was burgundy. So I had the blue one. It was when I was in high school that said, Yeah, Gates McFadden found out the next day that she was pregnant and her son Jack was born, you know, in the summer of ninety-two. So there you go. You and he you kindred spirits. Um, but anyway, yeah, so this, but this was during a period of time I was in high school. Uh, I was not actively watching the show at this point. I've mentioned it before. I probably hung in there for the best of the both worlds, but it wasn't until early in season five. And I have no idea what it was that clicked with me because I had been a Star Trek fan, you know, since I'd seen Star Trek four when I was 10 years old in 1986. I don't know what made me finally go, Oh, I want to watch this all the time. I'm all about it. But at this point I wasn't, which is a shame because certainly the first part, uh, I should say the first quarter uh, of season four is fantastic. When Jen and I were talking about it in our last episode, almost almost every episode we had a, we had a, a terrible time trying to figure out picking a uh, best and worst. But Family, best of both worlds, like yeah, exactly, yeah, Re- yeah. You had you know legacy and and but um, we start to see a couple of cracks here. Um, but anyway, mm-hmm. I'll kick I'll kick it off. Uh, episode seven of the season is reunion, directed by Sire Jonathan Frakes. Uh, story is uh, Drew Deegan, Thomas Perry, and Joe Perry. Uh, but not Steve Perry. That's a journey reference, which you don't. Oh, you got it. All right. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, teleplay, Thomas Perry, Joe Perry, Ron Moore, and Brand Braga. Now, of all of those names, Ron Moore and Brand Braga are the ones that stand out. I couldn't tell you a damn thing about the rest of them. But again, you have Ron Moore, who's the guy who shapes all Klingon methodology, and then Brand Braga, who... Uh, goes on to shape that much more of Star Trek and following uh, series. Uh, from November of 1990, Worf's former lover, which that's just a weird way to say it, returns. Yeah, yeah along with uh, Picard, the two mediate a Klingon power dispute. Worf discovers more family. That's a weird summary. That's a it's weird like, way to put it. It would be yeah, more it's like, like Worf's fling. Yeah, it's <laughs> like does that with a son that he does that he means had. he like meets his third cousin? I mean, yeah, Worf's third Worf's third cousin. They, oh, I think we have a new <laughs> name for the episode. Worf's fourth cousin. Galron. Yeah, right. Oh, Worf's fourth cousin. All right. So, um, yeah, so this starts. Um, this is a fairly important segment. Uh, it kicks off something that is going to be influential, uh, not only for the rest of the series with Klingon intrigue, but that will then bleed over into DS9. But it's very important for Worf's character because oh, yeah. um, we're the, introduced to the fact that Klingons age a lot faster than humans and sometimes a lot slower than humans. Like they age really rapidly to a certain age and then they slow down and age really slowly. Because if you think about DS9, we saw Kang, Koloth and Kor, they were in their hundreds, but they were just, they were good. They weren't like in wheelchairs or whatever, but Alexander, I, I, I read the Matt Alexander's wharf son. Sorry. Yeah. Um, Alexander would have been born in the, early to mid third season, right around the episode, the booby trap, because in a later episode of the series, he gives 
his birth date in, in a star date. Um, and yeah, so in, in this, that would mean he should be six months old by human standards, maybe a year, not quite a year, maybe around a year. And he's clearly somewhere around like four or five. Yeah, he's exactly. He's around four or five. He's, he's articulate. He's, you know, in the preschool or whatever. So uh, that just proves that again, you know, but again, we're, we're slapping it against human standards, even though Kalar is part human making, you know, if she's half human, that makes his kid one quarter. Um, so he, no, you know, he's, he's. Yeah, one quarter human. Yeah, yeah, one quarter human. Sorry, yeah, three quarters Klingon. Which so I, he looks perfectly Klingon. I mean, even even though I, I believe in in this appearance, he's played by a young man um, named John Stewart, who I believe passed away not that long ago under somewhat yeah. auspicious circumstances. Um, but he goes on later in this in in TNG, and then and then you know obviously later in DS9 as an adult. But in TNG, he's played by actor Brian Bonsall, who was the uh, youngest brother on Family Ties, which was a sitcom sitcom from the 80s which you may or may not be familiar with but which i absolutely loved it was the vehicle that launched michael j fox's career um so anyway yes he was little brother andy so anyway but in this he's john stewart obviously as a young kid he doesn't have a ton of line uh lines and and plays not a tiny role in this but certainly the bigger part is we meet gauron for the first time who will then turn around to be the emperor uh, or the the you know klingon chancellor chancellor who has a lot of ups and downs between here and his uh waterloo at the end of ds9 um and we see duras again for the last time but not the end of the family his legacy continues his like yeah his his legacy with his you know bastard son does continue into seasons four and five um and then we yeah at which point we do find out that he has two busty sisters but i digress not to put the card before the horse um so yeah awesome episode tons of intrigue um duras murders Kalar when the, uh, off screen when they have a dispute yeah, somehow um, he murders her on the enterprise and gets away with it yeah well there were yeah there were well it was you know behind closed doors and he obviously just stabbed the shit out of her because they describe you know you know too many puncture wounds and we, we you know yeah and she was blood like thrown yeah. down onto a glass table like it's just yeah it's a disaster i mean and she she's a she's a warrior uh you know but obviously but duras is a much bigger He's a bigger, yeah, he's a bigger, yeah, he's a bigger dude and he's a little bit more traditional Klingon than she is. You know, she's a diplomat where he is just a hardened, evil, terrible warrior Klingon, you know, Romulan. Imagine all the worst things you hate about Klingons and that's Duras. Yeah, you you cram it all in one shit sack. It's the same guy. Um, One of my favorite parts is when Worf is going after him. Picard walks in, Mr. Worf. Oh, stab. <laughs> yeah, that was Riker, by the way. So, Worf, no. <gasps> yeah, I love because he's fighting with a bat left, and I think I think Duras had a sword because they uh, – <laughs> I love that scene because, uh, you know, it's uh, – Worf figure out what's going on, and he grabs bat left, takes the sash off, throws his badge down. He's like, I'm out of here. Love how anybody can use the transporter, you know, like it's the city bus. Uh, okay, I got to go. Uh, and he beams over there. He walks into that room. Uh, and he's with, you know, Garon's man. And Garon's man says, he's claimed the right of vengeance. And then Doris goes, you have no rights here, traitor. And he does this, you know, excommunicated crossing of the arms. Yeah. And Worf goes, Kalar was my mate. And all the other guys go, oh, shit. <laughs> Boo! Yeah, they're dumb. It's like, oh, yeah. this is that kind of fight. Nope. Yeah, so I don't get involved in these family squabbles and shit. I'm out. Uh, and so, yeah, so they fight. Um, and even though Duras is obviously quite a badass, Worf's quite a bit more of a badass. Um, even though, you know, and, uh, you know, Duras is like, oh, I'm the only one who can clear your name. And Worf's like, fuck you, dude. And then, yeah, he knocks him down. And then the door opens, Riker and Data and, and 
Ensign Ricky have shown up to stop him. And they go, Worf, no. And you just see Worf do this nice big swing. Thump. Yeah. And then just, right. yeah, you, <laughs> you, yeah, you don't see him plow it into Duras, but then you just see Duras's body go slump. And Worf goes, ah. <laughs> nice big <laughs> exultation. So killer episode. Absolutely That's loved it. Episode. You know, you got all the highs and lows. You also get Worf when he's having a conversation with Alexander. At the end of it, Alexander gets sent off to live on Earth with Worf's parents because, you know, I guess he didn't want to, he didn't want to have a kid around a Krampus style. I don't want to have a kid yesterday. I don't want a kid today. Um, but he does get in a very Darth Vader like, yes, I am your father when the kid asks, are you my father? Yeah. So delightful. So anyway, yeah, I dug it. Great yeah. episode. Also, top show. it brings in one of my favorite characters, Gowron. So yeah, I, I yeah. really, really like Gowron. Gowron uh, actor Robert O'Reilly will be a uh, one of the featured guests at Grand Rapids Comic Con, where Peter and I will both be in uh, just six weeks. Man, that really just creeps up on us. But uh, that's our local con here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. We've had a presence here for a number of years, and we always get along quite well with the Star Trek guests. So we have him and we have J.G. Herskler, who is General Martok. So I'm very excited. I've interacted with him on social media, and I've read, met Bob O'Reilly. He was on, uh, I said, Bob O'Reilly. Which, which is a song by the Who, Robert O'Reilly, or as I like to call him, Robert O'Gowron, uh, met him on the cruise. Uh, he hosted a trivia night that I won, so I got to get up and, and shake his hand and all the different stuff. So cool dude. Big eyes. That's oh, kind of yeah. kind of his claim to That's fame. That's his thing. That is his thing. All right, all right, moving on. What do we got next? All right, episode eight, uh, Future Imperfect, directed by Les Landau, written by J. Larry Carroll and David Bennett Karen. Uh, aired November 10, 1990. Riker finds himself 16 years in the future. His memory of the interim is erased by a dormant virus. How convenient. Uh, I love that this episode gave us um, a really cool uniform variant. It was our first uh, badge that also signified rank, which became more of a thing in Star Trek Discovery. Because, um, yeah. yeah, you got the – and Peter, did you – I know that Fansets has made that badge. Do you have that one? I have two of them. You yeah. have two of them, yeah. I have the captain's one, which I'll toss on every once in a while, even yeah, though that's – the captain that's, and the lieutenant yeah. one. I've, yeah. I, I think they – Like getting a couple of the other ones because of the – because the color to signify the hat yeah. is cool. Yeah, the, to describe it, if you're not seeing the episode, it's basically it's your Starfleet Chevron uh, with uh, you know Four horizontal bars. bars behind it, which are colored gold for a solid rank and colored silver for a half rank, like a JG and black or a, for nothing. commander. And black for nothing. It's all so the like all you the have crewmen. crewmen who are walking around with just four. Black. Yeah. Yeah, and that was you know what, and that was something that was always kind of nice about T- to take a sidebar and talk about uniforms. Always drove me nuts, particularly with the uniform you're wearing. There's no signification. There's stripes on the sleeves of yeah, that. on the cage. There's yeah, not, the these don't really mean anything. Yeah, exactly. Um, but in TNG, uh, everybody wears the same uniform, and rank is denoted uh, by you know pips. Uh, a solid colored gold pip or a, a hollowed out, you know, black and gold pip. Uh, but the enlisted people all wear the same uniform. If you are a senior NCO, like a chief petty officer, whatever it is, uh, though it does evolve into DS9 where they get little embroidered patches that they wear in their neck. And in that period, well, I just flipped this badge all the way upside down. Oh, my goodness. Reliable magnet. Um, they, uh, but everybody wears the same uniform. So I could just look at, you know, someone without a thing and say, hey, you know, petty officer, blah, blah, blah. Or if I know them, crewman, something. But anyway, I love that. And when that same badge returns, uh, in season seven, in the episode Parallels, where Worf is uh, Worf is dancing between realities, that badge returns, but it's matched up with pips on the collar, which I kind of prefer. Yeah, um, I like so, it when they have both. 
Yeah, exactly. It's pretty cool. So, but anyway, um, yeah, so it's funny. It's, you know, when you're like, oh, it's 16 years in the future, um, which, of course, the show carries on uh, because if this is the year 2367, you add in 16 years, would be 2374 or so, which is during DS9. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, So, yeah, it's pretty obvious this is fake because none of the technology matches up. But, uh, yeah, during that time, uh, Jordy doesn't get promoted at all or he gets one promotion and he has normal eyeballs. Yes, he does get eyes. Uh, Data gets one promotion and a red uniform. He's the first officer in this scenario. And then, you know, Worf takes an admiral. Yeah, yeah, Picard becomes an admiral. Uh, First time that we see Deanna in regular duty jumpsuit, which becomes the norm for her in in middle of season six. She gets out of her cosmic cheerleader outfit once and for all. Um, Yeah, and then Worf is operations. He gets a promotion, but he has a scar. And it's interesting. So obviously the whole thing is a flim flam. You know, as Riker goes through this, he figures out that it's it kind of makes sense, but it kind of doesn't. And then uh, he has a he has a son named Jean-Luc who uh, is showing, uh, you know, and then a late wife and like, well, her name was Min and uh, like, oh, that must be short for something or other but figures out as he's watching the video of her that it's this holographic girlfriend he had back in season one in a holiday program so that's when he knows the whole thing is bs and then that turns into a sub program where he's captured by romulans then he figures out that's bs and then this kid jean-luc barash who looks like you know one of the aliens from that book communion from the 1980s uh says you know my name is barash and he does he does this he does the he does the uh, purple rain um and then yeah he beams up with Riker uh and and then he is never heard from again so I'm assuming he dies in the transporter so whoops either that or we're gonna see some lowered x reference to him you never oh that a lot of deep cuts so that yeah that seems pretty far on I I enjoyed this episode I think it's a pretty perfect um Star Trek episode, a little bit of mystery, you know, you know, oh, how could they do this? How is this going to work out with the rest of the show? Um, but, you know, for any experienced viewer, I think you probably pretty much figure out early on that it's it, it's kind of bunk. You know, it's not not really the way it's going to work out. So but, yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good ride. I always like uniform stuff as I obviously yeah. been blabbing about it for five minutes. That's just kind of my thing. Um, but, yeah, no, I thought it was fun. Yeah, it's a great episode. And. One of, one of my favorite Romulans, Tommy, Tomalock, makes an appearance. Oh, yes, it's gotcha, a fake yeah. version of Tomalock, but yes, I we always don't, enjoy having him. As a matter of fact, we don't ever see him again uh, because when we see him in the final episode, it's again an alternate reality. An, so, yeah, yes, technically, yeah. yeah. So even though he's actually there, he's not actually there. Yeah. So his it was, his, it was a missed opportunity in Nemesis. They yeah. should have had him. Yeah, big time. Though there's a that actor has since passed away. He may have may have passed away by that time. I'm not sure. Nah, he was still. He he was. I think he was well and truly retired at that. point. Yeah, very. Yeah, because he went on to be a big character. Was it was Jakar in Babylon Five. Babylon I think Five. That was, yep. That was another one of the big roles. Even though I'm not a fan of that show, I am aware of it. It's, All right. It's good. Yeah, well, you know, it's, I know that on our Patreon recently, my partner Todd on his show Fans Plane interviewed a very serious Babylon 5 fan. I've it, it's, it's never clicked with me, but you know what? To each their own, I totally yep. understand. Somebody could say the same thing about Ron Moore's Battlestar Galactica, which hopefully you and I are going to be talking about on Patreon, but that's my favorite. But some people look at that and say, eh, blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean, all fandom is, is not all things to all people, and I can totally appreciate that. Anyway, okay, episode nine, final but not final mission. 
uh, directed by Corey Allen, regular, yeah, ooh, regular of the series. Uh, story by Casey Arnold Incy. Never heard of that name. Totally a slush spec pile script if I was to bet fold money on it. Uh, teleplay by the same individual and Jerry Taylor. Okay. So, you know, kind of the, the vibe that I get is when they buy one of these slush scripts, they, hand, they toss it into the writer's room. Uh, and then the person who probably has the most vision or direction around that slush script gets the teleplay credit that that's what i'm mm-hmm. saying that's what happened in reunion because again those are just not names I, I feel like we end up seeing again so jerry taylor of course co-creator of star trek voyager and the only person who has ever written two novels that are considered canonical because they're about the voyager yeah, crew. mosaic and then pathways pathways i don't think yeah. i've read pathways i've read part of mosaic you can find uh, any of those plug 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 for my friends at simon and schuster who i also actually review books for uh those are available on audible from simon and schuster um but you know what's annoying about those is because they came out so long ago they're they came out in the mid 1990s they were bridged down to about two and a half hours as opposed to like i just bought the uh, certain point of view return of the jedi star wars book it's 20 hours long you know so it's every word of that book <laughs> them's rookie numbers get a sanderson yeah. book yeah like pump it up five hours pump it up oh my god <laughs> Good God. All right. So the episode is from November of 1990. We really got off on a tangent on that one. Uh, Wesley sets off on his final mission with the Enterprise, accompanied by Picard. They become stranded on a desert planet. Couldn't have seen that coming in the first five minutes when they get on a shuttle with some random asshole. That's a piece <laughs> yeah. of junk. Yeah, exactly. This Literally, thing is- you should hear Luke Skywalker from episode four. What a piece of junk. I would sooner get on five. I would sooner get on the Outrider from Shadows of the Empire than I would get on. This guy's shuttle looks like it, it literally looks like a Ford Pinto, you know, <laughs> which I don't know if you're at all familiar that with may that. Maybe what they were basically. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. The Ford Pinto, dear listeners, if you're not aware, I'm from Detroit, so it's particularly near and dear to my heart, the Motor City, was a vehicle that was quickly taken off the market when they found out that rear-end collisions would make the gas tank explode. That's pretty much what this this, this Durgo, that's pretty much what his little shitty shuttle was. So yeah, they fly off, they instantly crash, and that gave us some really nice location shooting, you know, in the Mojave Desert, north of LA, Um, and, you know, it gives... uh, Wesley and uh, Picard, some really great bonding moments, which, you know, it, it kind of harkens back to the episode in season two. This, it was not well, wasn't the Samaritan snare. No. It was the Samaritan snare. Yes, it was, because yeah, yeah, the, was. A, the A story was introduced the Packlets and the and B the story, story was, was Picard going to the hospital, Picard him. going to Starbase to get his cardiac replacement, which was so dumb because the only person who could fix it was already on your ship. Oh, my God. We know. Yeah. Uh, Kay and I had quite a fun time trashing Dr. Pulaski. She's not a fan. But anyway, I digress. Um Cool episode. Again, you know, I, for, I, I I saw this one years after it aired. The guy who played Durgo was a cast member on another sci-fi show in the late 70s called Space 1999, if I'm not yep. mistaken. Um, I don't know that I've ever seen that show. I think Martin, La- I think Martin Landau, who was the main character in that, was the other frontrunner to be Spock before Leonard Nimoy got the role. So there's yet another Star Trek yeah, connection. But yeah, the, the character of Durgo, the, the shuttle captain, he's so super one-dimensional. Got a big chip on his shoulder, thinks he's king shit, even though he's flying around the, the an even crappier version of the Outrider from Star Wars. Um, and he gets himself killed. 
Because he's like, I know what I'm doing. Because they, you know, they, they walk through the desert. They go into this cave. They find water. But, you know, naturally the water is protected by a shield or whatever. And if you mess with it, it zaps you. And so it kills him. But Wesley figures it out by doing some shit with his tricorder and then saves Picard life. But then gives him the, you know, oh, Picard, everything I've ever done for you. You're my real father. Blah, blah, blah. Yada, yada, yada. You know, father-son stuff, you know, because, again, it's a father-son relationship between the two of them, obviously, at its core. Um, it always speaks to me. So I enjoy that kind of stuff. That's always been a, a dramatic touchstone for me. You know, when you and I talk about Battlestar, you'll see that that how much that father-son dynamic, like, really hits me where I live. So so I enjoy I enjoyed this episode kind of for that reason. But, yeah, I thought Durgo was way too one-dimensional but he also kind of but but in a way he also kind of served his purpose so i mean yeah he kind of had to be the way that yeah yeah he's kind of like the red shirt to establish danger but they need a reason for him to be that dumb to touch yeah he's the guy who kicks the beat i'm just gonna hits the beehive with the baseball bat (laughs) just a friggin' moron i'll be totally fine Die. yeah it's no big deal this is gonna work out so this is cool so at the end of it obviously picard gets rescued and wesley goes off and we don't see him again till season five when he's you know hook, yeah he's hooking up with ashley judd and then uh well we see him in the game in season five and then, all right and, yeah, yeah yeah and then we see him in the yeah the first duty when he's you know on kind of a bad path and then etc cetera, etc cetera. with not um, tom paris with not yes with tom tom paris's fourth cousin <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly oh my gosh all right the next one is yours and i gotta tell you oh <laughs> okay hey, you know what completeness to say we got to do this know. you know the real goal of the show is we talk about every single star we'll have to touch time. sub rosa too as much as oh my know. god that's gonna be a fun one um all right episode 10 the loss directed by chip chalmers teleplay by hillary j bader and alan j adler and vanessa green story by hillary j bader aired december 29th 1990 an unknown force captures the Enterprise and causes Deanna to lose her empathic powers. Oh my it's god! About as interesting as it sounds. You know, my biggest chip with this episode—no, no disrespect to Chip Chalmers who directed the episode—is that Deanna is just awful in this. She's really shitty to Beverly. She's really shitty to Riker, and she's um, really she, shitty to her other client. She's lippy to Picard. Yeah, she's lippy to uh, that actress uh, who plays the uh, Ensign Brooks or whatever, who she's counseling. Shows up again as another character in Generations as Picard's Nexus wife. So there oh, you go. Right. There's, there's a little yeah. trivia for you. Um, but yeah, this is this is like what. How much more obnoxious can she be? Oh, no, my powers anymore. And my powers are the only thing that uh, that, that basically define me. You know, it's like yeah. it's like having a friend who their job is all they can ever talk about. My, that reminds me of my brother um, that like their job is their entire identity. OK, well, you got fired from your job. What do you got? I got nothing. And, you know, and it's just it's not great commentary on her as a character. No, um, you know, it, it it really makes me strongly dislike her because I'm like, oh, OK, well, let's say I was a patient of hers and, and I had been a patient of hers for a few years because let's say we've all been on the ship together for a few years together. And she just dumps me because, OK, well, you know. Any other counselor that you've seen, and even Picard says, you know, most captains don't have the benefit of having a Betazoid counselor on their ship. They just have a regular person. And she's like, oh, that's not good enough. I mean, she's saying that the the only reason she's good at what she does is because she can sense people's emotion. That sucks. That's just, that's totally bogus. That's what you got on your CV. That's on your resume. Well, also, oh, I can went to school 
like she studied that in school and so it right. just seems like a little yeah i mean this right. is the f- in, in a season that has had a lot of a lot of hits this is the first one that i think is just trash this is bad now keep in mind when we get later in the season we do have night terrors which is even bigger trash but this was yeah, yeah. I, I found yeah, it usually gets the short end of the stick in tnt yeah. when it comes to the bad episodes yeah, but this was this was one of my least favorite of the series. Which is um, sad because Deanna gets a lot better in the films. Yeah, without a doubt, she does get some juicy stuff to do. Um, but yeah, th- this was a dud for me. I was just I was really disappointed how you know Deanna turns out being one of those people saying, "Oh, my job, and I'm so special because blah blah blah." That when she doesn't have that one thing, now I'm a, I'm a vengeful bitch and I'm going to take it out on everybody. That's just that's not cool. I'm just not down. I'm just not really not down with that. Yeah, I mean, there is something to it. Like, I've seen that happen to it. Like, not to the same extent, but, like, it's a thing that happens, but it's just, it just didn't really work for that particular character. So I get where what they're trying to do, but it just, it didn't really land. The yeah. two-dimensional aliens were an interesting idea. Yeah, very, um, very Star Trek. I like it. It's, it's been done a couple other places, too. Yeah. Um, I know that the Orville did it in, like, season one or two. I'm sorry, um, what was the name of that show? <laughs> The Wright Brothers. There um, you go. I prefer so, that. Um, so, like, it, it's an interesting concept that two-dimensional beings, two-dimensional space interact with three-dimensional space. Yeah. But outside of that, like, there's not – it's just not a great episode. Yeah, big time. Uh, but anyway, all right. We, we trunge on forward to an episode that I think is better, but it does give us <laughs> a really terrible female stereotype uh, in a we, character that – We also that- get the meme. Oh. <laughs> oh, we were talking episode 11 is Data's Day. Uh, Robert Weimer is the director. Story by Harold Apter. Again, slush pile. Uh, teleplay is Harold Apter and polishing up this turd is, well, I know that that's unfair, but polishing up the script is Ron D. Moore, who I was super disappointed about a week before we, we got out to Vegas for Star Trek Las Vegas. He canceled. And oh, he was... Man. I would say because I've met I've met a lot of Star Trek people just doing, you know, doing shows and going on the cruise. But Ron Moore was one that doesn't really do shows. And so I was really heartbroken that he wasn't going to be there um, because I, I'm such such a huge admirer of his work. He's just done a lot of great stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, this was uh, first episode of 1991, January 1991. Data gets dancing level lessons from Dr. Crusher. It's a weird way to introduce the plot of this. That's not what the episode is about. No, that's like halfway through the episode. Yeah, exactly. In preparation. For, for Chief O'Brien's wedding as the Enterprise brings uh, Ambassador Tapel. How many different T apostrophe P dash L names can we have? To Paw, to Pring, yeah. Everything's got to be a to P. The thing that most people had for Vulcan names for the longest time was males begin with S and have some sort of hard consonant, and female names begin with a T and a P. A T and a P. TP, toilet paper. And then, you know, Savic happened. Right. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, it, uh, bringing this ambassador to Pell to the Romulans for negotiations. So we get uh, kind of a we get we get an A B story in this, but mm-hmm. the whole thing is a framing sequence around Data writing a letter or dictating a letter because there's no writing or whatever. So basically, he's you know it seems like this would be solved in a, it would be a text conversation, but he's recording a letter to um, 
uh, Commander Maddox, who is the guy, the guy who tried to kill him in season two. Um, but now they're, you know, that, you know, at the end of that, they kind of squash their differences. Um, but Maddox obviously catches his Waterloo in the first season of Picard. But anyway, Maddox does not appear. But Data, Data is conscripting this letter and he's talking about his experiences in you know what? What is not a typical day? Because obviously there's some different stuff happening. But you know what is a typical day on the Enterprise? Expect the unexpected. You know, Starfleet. Weird. You know, weird is part of the job. Uh, but anyway, we're yeah, we're getting the uh, the wedding of Chief O'Brien, which kind of comes out of nowhere because we've never met his intended before. This is her first appearance. Uh, it's actress Rosalind Chow, uh, who was previously uh, known for. Uh, being Klinger's wife in at Mash and After Mash, if you watch that sitcom in the in the in the eighties, like I did, because that was that it was like Seinfeld in the nineties, which I, again I know you're not that familiar with Seinfeld, but Mash was for the longest time and even probably at least top five the finale of that show in nineteen eighty three most watched program of all time. Mm-hmm. It was for the longest time, um, but anyway, so we get Rosalind Chow as uh, Keiko Ishikawa. Later, O'Brien. Sorry, sorry to jump forward and think that uh, that they actually does go through at the wedding. But at the beginning of it, she's like, "Yeah, I don't want to get married," and blah blah blah. And then Chief O'Brien's like, "Where the hell did this come from?" And then Jordy's. This is. There's just a lot of out of character shit going on in this episode. Jordy's like, "Oh no, they're gonna get married." But like, when does Jordy know a damn thing about women? When does Jordy ever get a woman? We know that he eventually <laughs> well, settles he gets down married at some point, right? But it right. takes 35 years for him to finally settle down. But yeah, I mean, he's the strikeout king in this show, so he's acting like, "Ah, oh, she just got jitter. She's gonna blah blah." And so yeah, she's you know she yells at Data, "Go away, leave me alone." You know, uh, you know, uh, and then then at the end of it, she's just very schizo and says, "No, it's time for me to go get married or whatever." I just, you know, talk about starting off on a bad foot. Keiko's got a bad rep all the way through DS Nine as being like a super duper ballbuster to Chief O'Brien, who is the, they're basically the first you know real married couple of Star Trek that we get, and we get to see them for when they get married and they have a child, and they have another child, and they go through a lot of trials and tribu- trials and tribulations uh, throughout their yeah. But I know we got a lot of them in this episode. This is the, this is the rimshot episode. Um, yeah, I just uh, I, I couldn't help myself but really hate her guts uh, very early on in this episode. Um, so anyway, that's the A story, and the B story is kind of standard fare. You have a really stuck-up, obnoxious Vulcan ambassador who's pushing everybody around and being really cagey. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she fakes her death in a transporter accident. Uh, and beams over to this Romulan ship where she's a Romulan spy, and you know our people figure that out and go back and, and figure it out. So that's a, that's a pretty run of the mill you know plot line. We do get as a Romulan captain. Uh, God, I'm forgetting the actor's name, but he's just a really like Shakespearean solid dude. X the hell out of that role, and I'm drawing a blank on his name. Uh, one second, Alan something. Anyway, yeah, um, yeah. So I would I would give this episode. Garfy. Ah, Alan Scar. There you go. Actually, his name actually came up. This is no joke. Weird little memories. I took my last summer term at MSU, so 25 years ago. Uh, I took a Shakespeare class, and the professor, blah, 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 dropped Alan Scarfy's name, and I said, oh, I know who that is, but I didn't say how, because I'm like, oh, and I'm a nerd, because being a Star Trek nerd back then didn't have the same cachet it does now, where we're obviously making millions of dollars making this show. <laughs> Um, yeah, this, this episode was like a 
I don't know, this, is, this is a little flat for me. I just, I can't like get over. E minus. <laughs> yeah, I can't get over how much I really hate Keiko. And that's maybe because, with the exception of my beloved April, I've had some bad relationships in the past with some really not nice women. Maybe maybe it's PTSD for me for that kind of stuff. But I just did not care for the way she, she treats Chief O'Brien. She gets better and then a little bit worse and a little bit better and a little bit worse. I don't know. Boo on Keiko. There's my message. She's a human. She does dumb things. Yeah, exactly. Correct. All right. Well, any other, any other thoughts? We finally get to see um, Gates McFadden's dancing ability brought out. Yay. So that's kind of fun. But. She is uh, she is delightful. I and she has a wonderful podcast. And I, I saw her again in Vegas. We'd met before at Grand Rapids Comic Con, probably five or six years ago. But I was chatting her up about a podcast that she has done two seasons of called Investigates G A T E S, where she do, she interviews her Star Trek co stars, but but absolutely nothing Star Trek related, just completely about their lives. And they're this, you know, she had a, a great recent season where she interviewed Shatner, she interviewed Anson Mount, she's you know talked to Brent, she's talked to Frakes. Um, just a wonderful show, and she was uh, telling me, and I've already forgotten, well, get in touch with blah, 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 and tell them, you know, you want to hear more of the show. So I hope, Gates, not that you'll ever hear this, that I sent an email. I believe I did. I did the same on Marina's behalf because I, I said, Marina, we want to see you back on the cruise. And she's like, send an email to so-and-so. I definitely did do that. And I think I did with Gates as well. And Maybe I, 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 I Twittered or I X'd her over on X. Um, but anyway. Hopefully they both get what they're what they're going for. But yeah, she's she's a delightful woman. So, all right, moving on. Episode twelve: A winner introducing the greatest of the greatest of Star Trek villainous races. And Take also it away. Marco Lemo makes an appearance. Yes. Um, so as 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 a fourth cousin. <laughs> yes, another one. So ah, the fourth cousins. cousin episode. Uh, so episode twelve: The Wounded. Directed by Chip Chalmers, story by Stuart Charno and Sarah Charno and Cy Chermack. Teleplay by Jerry Taylor. Aired January 26, 91. A rogue Starfleet captain jeopardizes the Cardassian peace treaty. Oh, so we do get the Cardassians. They're wearing some whack outfits. I mean, what they're wearing is not super duper different than what they end up with. I mean, what did they end up with when we see them? They did Even, remove the helmets, which is yeah, probably a good call. The, the helmets were where they were basically like it was a reverse of old-timey football helmets yeah. where, you know, it's like kind of a weird clamshell on their face. And yeah, they're, they're actual body suits. And again, when you're a Cardassian, you literally own one outfit for your entire life. They 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 change their outfits exactly twice. Uh, I think I think this weird outfit and the one that we come to see regularly must have existed contemporaneously because in DS9 flashbacks that are before this time, you see the traditional Cardassian yeah. outfit. So, so I these mean, must be Cardassian like, you know, culture being what it is. It's very likely that they have not changed anything militarily. Uh, yeah. In centuries. Right. Well, and you see how you see how that ends up playing out for them. Um, but this is great. We get uh, we get an, we don't often get another Starfleet captain in a starring role, but we get actor Bob Gunton, who is the the warden from Shawshank Redemption, an awesome film that aired after this came out on one of Stephen King's uh, not only finest novels, but definitely one of it, probably his, vi his very best film adaptation. Best and I think, it, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's been considered his favorite. We watched it not that long ago and I just, just forget what a great flick that is. And of course it's on TNT on basic cable 5,000 times a year. So you trust me, even if you don't know if you've seen it, you've seen it. If you haven't um, seen it, 
you've yeah. probably seen part of it. Yeah. And if you haven't seen the whole thing, there's your recommendation for the week that's non-Star Trek related. Go see the Shawshank Redemption. Uh, yeah. Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman. Um, what a great episode. Oh, my God. So you really get to see that, you know, uh, even, you know, when we find out, you know, we have a rogue Starfleet captain who's flying around in Cardassian space, blowing up Cardassian stuff, and nobody knows what's going on. Um, so even from the briefing at the beginning, and we see Admiral, is it Hayden? And it's not the first uh, uh, heavyset, heavyset black dude, uh, who we also saw in the episode The Defector, though it, though it was a, yeah. a taped, taped call he was listening to. Um, you know, Hayden reveals to Picard, well, it's, uh, Ben Maxwell is out there. Says, ben Max, Picard goes, Ben Maxwell, he's one of Starfleet's finest captains. And um, yeah, it's this is a, a great exploration of the fact that even the best of the best of the best of us are, in this case, still human beings. And we're still, still going mistakes. to fall. Yeah, we're going to still, you know, fall vulnerable to the cleavages of, of you know, PTSD. Here was a guy whose whole family was killed by Cardassians. Um, you know, this is a year or so after the Cardassian peace treaty was signed, partially negotiated by Edward Jellicoe, uh, who we will meet in a couple of seasons and and not like very much. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, it, it, this and this is a moment to shine for O'Brien. I mean, the, the last... Uh, act when I think the the second to last scene um, once uh, Maxwell and his ship, the Phoenix, is also the first Nebula class ship we see. If I'm yep. not mistaken, um, uh, he's he's you know broken loose and he's going to blow up another Kardashian ship. And O'Brien manages to beam over, and uh, you know O'Brien, having served under uh, Captain Maxwell in the past, they have this very tender moment where they sing a song together, and it's a tearjerker for me. This is uh, this, this is a really good episode, and one yeah. of the things that's really nice about this one is it gives. I think it was one of the main reasons why um, O'Brien was tapped to go off to Deep Space Nine it was because yeah. that character. They allowed this character to breathe in this episode and right. he really held his own. Big time. I mean, he, he had more screen time than any other character in this episode, which you yep. don't often get, certainly in this series. In DS9, we had this great extended rotating cast where Garrick would get an episode or Rom would get an episode, but it really did not happen in TNG because you had your seven core people and that was that was basically yeah, it. And then you like had a few more, but it was primarily just them. Yeah. So, so yeah, so this really ruled. So yeah, this was a yeah, strong uh, strong entry, and and again, you know, Picard knows the deal, and he's having this conversation with Ducat's fourth cousin, who is Gol Maset. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's funny, even in the DS9 relaunch novels, it is established that they're related. But like I said, I've now changed the episode to simply the fourth cousins because we've it's made so fourth, <laughs> we've we've had so many. Um, Picard knows that this guy's dirty as shit. You know what I mean? So he's like, yeah, you know, I'll go back to your people, Maset. Tell them, you know. We know the deal. Fuck off. You know, yeah, we know that you're up to nothing good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just get, get out of here. We still don't know about Bajor. We'll yeah, exactly. yeah, that's right. The, the audience hadn't yet. Yeah, so. yeah. We find yeah, we find out about that. Though, you know, we find out about it early in season five with the episode yep. Ensign Row. Um, but it's revealed that the Bajoran culture has been known to um, the Federation for centuries. It's revealed that Picard says, well, I remember in that episode, he says, I remember reading about the ancient Bajorans in my fifth grade reader. Um, so yeah, so they're well known. So a race that I think has been referenced in strange new worlds, if I'm not mistaken. So their text they, was yeah. referenced yeah. as was Cardassian, so, which was a little weird, yeah. but, but yeah. the, uh, the Bajoran stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, cool. All right. Let's take it home with episode lucky number 13, an yeah. adaptation yeah. Of a Star Trek Phase Two script, yeah. I think it's your turn to. to oh, is it really? My bad. 
Uh, episode 13 is Devil's Due. Tom Benko is the director. Uh, oh, God, here we go. Story by Philip Lazabrinik and William Douglas Lansford. These guys were probably dead by the time this came out because the script was was 20 years old, was 15 or 20 years old at this point. Uh, teleplay by Philip Lazabrik. Okay, so this was... This didn't have any writing credit of the established uh, writing team, no. which is maybe why it wasn't that good. Uh, Feb of 1991, a powerful mythic figure from a, a millennium previous returns to enslave a planet in accordance with a contract. However, Picard is convinced she's an opportunistic charlatan. Words that don't get used, he says, a flimflam con artist. Barnum, PT, guest star is Marta Dubois as Ardra. Marta Dubois, previously known uh, to, I won't say genre fans, but just fans of TV in general, as Magnum P.I.'s wife from Magnum P.I. The, the, the good one, not the one that's on now, which <laughs> just looks really stupid. Uh, but, my mo- but my mom loves it because it's on CBS. Not that I have to come out and say it, but CBS is catnip for old people. <laughs> that's part of my ongoing war, uh, my, my ongoing uh, ambivalent feelings about CBS as a network. Uh, yeah, I, very Star Trek-y kind of story. You know, oh, there's a blah, blah, blah. Something's not what it seems. Um yep. But it's weird to me that middle of fourth season, they're still stealing a script that was written in the 1970s. If you're not at all familiar, dear listeners, uh, and I just watched something about this recently, just a YouTube clip that just kind of refreshed my memory. When the people at Paramount saw how successful Star Wars was in 1977, they said, hey, how can we exploit people loving science fiction? Oh, we own Star Trek. Maybe we should put it back on TV. It's been successful in syndication for a decade. So they spent millions building sets and writing scripts and hiring actors. And then they finally said, yeah, well, we're not going to really be able to launch a network around this, the Paramount Network, which they did in the mid-90s with Voyager. So all of those scripts got uh, shelved except for the one that they built and turned into Star Trek The Motion Picture. Uh, This was one of two scripts that survived into... TNG, the first one uh, being the uh, much reviled uh, season two premiere, The Child, where Troy has a baby for no reason. And then there's this one. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I, I you know, I, I just don't really know what to think about this one. I mean, yeah, she's a pretty lady and all, but she's very seductive and Picard's not falling for it and blah, blah, blah. I I don't know. Captain Kirk would have nailed her in the first five seconds. So I don't really see how this could have been a good TOS phase two script. Kirk also probably would have picked up on her crap pretty early on too. Yeah, exactly. But she would have been like, oh, he would have been like, all right, I'll sleep with you, but I'm not going to like it. He would have done it differently, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, So that's what makes it so weird when you look at this um, written by these 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 two dudes who obviously wrote it back in the seventies. That well, there was clear. Yeah. Uh, rewrote it at Michael Pillar's request. Oh, okay, so okay. William Douglas Lansford may have been the original. Uh, originally, I just looked this up because okay, I, I didn't know that it yeah. was a phase two script, or if I did, I forgot. <laughs> um, sure, but it was originally a script idea written by Roddenberry. Oh, there you go. Um, gotcha which probably explains why it deals with the subject matter that it does. Right. Um, yeah. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I thought it was, it, it was okay. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't I, really put my finger. I on generally it. like this one. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, you see I, what I mean? I it has a weird one, quality. I find this one funny, 
probably yeah. mostly for me it's probably because just the random crap of yeah. like i am the devil and then i am feklar you are not feklar like there's and all this and he turns he turns in this really ripped dude with a melting face it's like oh okay well, that's feklar yeah <laughs> yeah the, exactly it's super gross the, the klingon devil and yeah exactly like, it's interesting to me how like they how it's like like it's clear that she's a charlatan but it's interesting how they try to like uh put the idea that the devil is this you know cosmic being that just like flits across and harasses people right um and just like a lot of the same traits like you have the the, the attempted seduction the threats you have all these different things that go across and then right there's just a lot of interesting details in there that i i find rather interesting also how you have data as the judge at the end because he's the most yeah, objective right. he has no dog in the fight yeah and he's like he also have, i have rule <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden picard gets access to her whole trick bag of tricks and then and then it just yeah, right. becomes even more hilarious because exactly like, goodbye ardra come back yeah. if you can yeah right <laughs> and she did actually end up uh having a return if you followed the uh dc comics run of star trek the next generation which uh much like the it's it launched in 1989 same time as the second run of the the tos uh mm-hmm. dc comic run uh which was set during the film era between star trek 5 and 6 um she did get a re- uh, uh, she got a return uh, I think uh, Okana got a return. Uh, the uh, the kid from the bonding got a return. So comics, a, a comic book uh, in Star Trek, at least that was following a current show, uh, and even some of the older ones always brought in old storylines just yeah. to you know kind of enhance. Currently, uh, Star Trek yeah. Online does that. They haven't done it with Ardor yet, right? But, but gotcha. they brought like for instance Gowron, right? We found where Gowron went. Bring him on back. Uh, yeah, well, he went to he went to went went to Stovacor. That's where he went. Eventually. <laughs> Eventually. Eventually he did. Yeah, right. Gotcha. All right. Well, that wraps up this uh, pack of episodes. So let's do a favorite and a least favorite. You get to go first. Okay. Well, mm, I think for my favorite, I'm going to have to go with The Wounded. Totally. Same. Um, it's just a great episode. Right. Um, and very, 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 very humanizing, very human. even to yeah. a character and, and that, that we're like, meeting. It's just yeah. the human experience of, of going right. through this sort of stuff. And, and given our first real impression of the depth of a character that O'Brien is and, and, and uh, you know, the, the depth of, of acting prowess that Colmini has as, as O'Brien, which becomes such a pivotal character uh, in Star Trek as we go forward. So yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. It, like the wounded. It's just, yeah. it's just a fantastic episode. If I have to pick a worst, it's probably the loss. Oh my God. Um, we're, we're, we're eye to eye on this one. God, not, this is not a good episode. <laughs> super, just super annoyed. By the fact that Troy is like, oh my, my empathic abilities are my entire personality. It's like, it's like that girl you knew in high school who, if she was dating a guy, that was her whole world, and oh, that was my whole identity. And then they break up, and she's just devastated. She just has nothing to do. Blah blah blah. I just, oh, I've known too many yeah, people like that in my time. Just absolutely, yeah, just absolutely do not care for it. So, all right, well, okay, we will be moving along uh, in our next episode to cover the to start to cover the back half of season four, which gives us some less than great episodes. Um, but we will address that as we come along. Uh, Peter, it's, uh, it's fun to go back old school and have it just be you and me again. Where do people find you out there? You can find me on the interwebs at Petrus Aquinas. I am there. I don't do much. Uh, That's you can okay. also find me, find me on ELH's uh, YouTube or, or Twitch, where I play a Vulcan chief engineer. 
Excellent. And he's our chief engineer over on the USS Grand Petoskey, which I'll talk about in a minute. But you can find me over on X Twitter. I am at the C3. Go ahead and spell it out. I spend a lot of time there. Don't really mess around on Facebook. Dabbling a little bit more on Instagram where I'm at the C3. You can find me. Spell out the C again. No, excuse me. Uh, uh, at C3 Carpenter. Sorry. Uh, you can find me. Um, but anyway, I am very proud to be the commanding officer of the USS Grand Petoskey, of which uh, Peter is one of my senior staffers, my chief engineer. We are one of the biggest chapters of Starfleet, the international Star Trek fan club. We are based here in West Michigan, but we have members all over the state of Michigan. I am also very privileged to be the regional coordinator for Region 13, which is Michigan and Eastern Canada. We are opening up new chapters all the time. We have a new one here in Michigan. We're working on another one. Uh, if you have interest in leadership or if you would just like to meet other Trekkers, Google Region 13 and certainly visit us at the Grand Petoskey website or find us on socials and we can connect you. With that, fair friends, I'm going to bid you adieu. Thank you again to our wonderful Patreons. I'm going to tell you that sharing is caring and to keep on trekking. Peace and long life. This podcast is part of the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. Visit SecretFriendsUnite.com for more great shows, articles, news, reviews, and more. Secret Friends Unite podcasts are available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other podcast services around the world. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, you can join us on Facebook or our new Discord server. Or follow at SecretFriendsU on Twitter. Please subscribe to Secret Friends Unite on YouTube and visit our merch store at tpublic.com. Just search Secret Friends Unite. Thanks for listening.